This is Rabbi Sharon Brous, Rabbi Adi Kar, where we're dedicated to reinvigorating Jewish community, ritual, and learning, all while laying the foundation for a just and loving society. You're listening to Ikar's podcast, where you can hear our sermons from Shabbat and holidays, our teachings, our guest speakers, basically anything we think worth hearing that we can capture and stream, you can listen to right here. The whole Megillah. I mean, literally the whole Megillah. So thank you so much for being with us. Welcome, welcome everyone. So I'm so excited for this and actually having you here, I'm thinking back to the last time that we were sitting in here having this conversation and it's been, um, thank God, it's been many blessed years of friendship with you. So um, someone asked me the question, where did we meet? I don't, it was, I don't remember. I don't know. See, she doesn't remember but, either. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I've just always known you. It's been a minute. It's been a long time. <laughs> so, um, so, so, welcome back together, folks. Um, and I want to, I want to say for those who weren't here early in the service when I um, introduced or mentioned that uh, Reverend Najuma Smith Pollard is here with us. Um, you know, we've just been all torn up about what's going on in our country and and specifically in our city. And it just seems like so much of what's broken in our society has been rearing its head in our own city in the last couple of weeks. Um, It's nothing new, but it feels different. Mm -hmm. And um, in in this moment, and maybe even more fraught and a little bit more dangerous right now. Mm -hmm. And so given given this incredible um, pain and tension that we're experiencing, we really wanted to just have you here as our friends and guests and, and sit together and break bread together. And so I am, uh, I'm just going to welcome you once again. Thank and you. thank you so much for joining us tonight. So this is Reverend Najuma Smith-Pollard. Um, and, <laughs> and she and Didi and many of the friends that you, hopefully some of you have gotten a chance to meet tonight are from the Word of Encouragement Community Church. Yes. And um, and I'll tell you that that Najuma's formal um, is her formal role um, is one of them is at USC Center <laughs> yes. for Religion and Civic Culture, yes. um, where where Najuma's uh, running the uh, commu- the Center for Public Engagement. Is that what it's, it's called? It's the the Center for Religion and Civic Culture. It's a long Center name. for Religion and Civic Culture, yeah, <laughs> um, and also leads programming for the Cecil Murray Center for, Center for Community Engagement. Yes. Um, okay. So, but she's also a pastor, and she's also um, an incredible speaker and an incredible preacher um, and a beautiful author. And her voice is heard <laughs> throughout the city um, in various ways. And I want to tell you that if you are willing to go into the, into the heart of where the pain is in our city that is always striving and often hurting... You will find Najuma with her beautiful heart wide open in the center of the intersection (laughs) as she often is in the streets, really fighting for a more just and loving society. And you do it with incredible love. And I think with hope, because I think that you, like me, actually believe that things can get better if we just get our act together. And I've heard some of the most powerful preaching of my life come from this human that sits to my right. Thank you. And I'm always (laughs) learning, always, always learning from you. Thank you. And I'm not the only one who is, because Vice President Kamala Harris is also (laughs) learning from our dear Reverend Najuma 
Smith Pollard, um, who came to have a session yeah. about reproductive health and reproductive freedom just before Roe was overturned. Yeah. And um, if you, like me, uh, unawares, opened up the New York Times the next morning or a couple of days later, <laughs> you would have heard that, um, that, that Kamala Harris uh, was framing her uh, response to the denial of abortion care um, in the name of Reverend Najuma Smith-Pollard. Yeah. And I just felt like that is exactly the role that religion should play in politics Amen. right there. So, um, so thank you Amen. for speaking always uh, with love. And, thank and, you. Um, we're very grateful for your I, friendship and for your leadership. And I'm grateful for you. And, uh, you know, the way, that we, the way we say it in the neighborhood is, you're dope as well. <laughs> <laughs> You're pretty dope as well. Yeah. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. I really hope my kids were listening just now. Um, so, you know, Najuma, I want to start, um, I just want to start by with us sharing where our hearts are right now. Yeah. And I know that your heart is, um, your heart in a is few a, little, places right now. a little bit heavy yeah. right now. And so maybe we can just start and let's, let's yeah. name it and then we can collectively hold this, uh, this space. Yeah. So, um, my father lives in Bugaloose, Louisiana, and um, he was going to visit my stepmother in the hospital who had surgery this week and sadly had a heart attack in the bathroom at the hospital. So we thank God he was in the hospital, not in his car, not at the mall, not in the backyard by himself. Um, he is not conscious. And most likely will not come back to us. So me and my sister and brother who are here in Los Angeles will be traveling to Louisiana by Monday. So thank you. Um, and Rabbi Browse and her kind heart, of course, said, well, do you want to cancel? Said no. Um, not because my heart isn't broken, it is. I am a daddy's girl, so all the daddy girls in the room, you understand. Um, but this is important, and as I was telling members of my church, they didn't know either, but we took a van here, so when we got on the van, I shared with them what happened today, and I said, um, but I needed this community. You know, sometimes at the darkest moments, you need community. So I'm glad to be here with all of you, and got a chance to be at, you know, just settled in peace, and so thank you. And where my heart is with the city is, is broken too. Um, you know, the things that we all have seen, the rhetoric and the anti-blackness, anti-this, I mean, it was just the whole, it was, I told somebody, it was like nobody was off the table in that conversation that many of us have heard, if you've heard the full recording, it felt like it was like equal opportunity moment and nobody was off the table to get attacked and it was really disgusting um and so i've been with several people groups um you know of course calling for the council persons um to resign and we know that two of them have not um, but we're still believing and fighting and holding space that that will happen because, as many of you know, when a violation happens, um, the violator doesn't get to choose how the people heal. Period. That's where my heart's at. Yeah. 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 
Well, um, thank you for sharing about your your father. And his name is Richard Smith. Richard and Smith. I want to invite us all to just hold him in our prayers, and especially in the coming days. And of the many things that I have learned from you is that even in the darkest hours, or maybe especially in the darkest hours, mm-hmm. you are finding God's voice and mm-hmm. you're hearing the call. Yeah. And um, and I know that you will in the yeah. days ahead too. And I just I really bless him with ease and comfort and bless yeah. you and your brother and sister um, and and his, and your mother, your stepmother, yeah. um, that you should all find ease in the days ahead. I appreciate that. Thank so, you. We've received um, that. Thank you. I, I want to add to... Um, you know this. This, in addition to the city council um, tapes and the resistance from still t- two of the city mm-hmm. council members to resign in light of these tapes, um, one of the things that I'm holding in my heart is um, is really is fear and concern about what happened to Paul Pelosi this week. Yes, um, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi's husband, was violently attacked in in their home, and I. <sighs> I can't help but feel like we've just we just reached a new low mm-hmm. that's indicative of the new lows that are to come. Right. And it's not just because of the violence, it's because of the response to the violence mm-hmm. because there've been times in our history and there've been times in the last couple of years where things have been bad and then there was a kind of quick cleanup, like, oh, it, you know, this mm-hmm. is this person doesn't represent and we need to take, you know, there, there are ads with gunmen targeting Pelosi that haven't been taken off the air. Right. And I just, like, people are like, but they add wins. Why would I take it down? Mm-hmm. The election's only a week away. And I ju- I'm just, that worries my heart. Yeah. I, I wonder when the, I mean, as I spoke about tonight, the rhetoric of violence meets a, a, a violent culture, mm-hmm. a culture with access to guns. Right. Um, I just, it, that that really concerns me, and it feels like all the more reason for us to really double down mm-hmm. on the work that absolutely has to happen. As much as I'm bracing for next week, like I think we all are for our own elections, um, I think if we do not do everything in our power mm-hmm. to transform this culture of political violence that mm-hmm. we're living through in this moment, um, then I think we're headed into a very uh, treacherous period ahead. So I'm also yeah. holding that. In addition to this, I mean, this not only from the city council, but there have been a spike of um, anti-Semitic um, attacks and incidents over the course of the last several weeks. Yeah. Um, in my analysis, um, in my kind of mental framing of this, yeah. when did I start becoming occupied with Again, with the thinking about anti-Semitism, because it kind of, you know, we, we our attention moves from thing to thing. But mm-hmm. it was when the former president made a, made a threat to American Jews who couldn't get behind a right-wing Israel right. policy. And it went straight from there to Kanye. And then it went to Kanye doubling down and then to Kanye tripling down and then to this response. And, the, and, and, and all of that was right on the heels of the city council. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it... it and and I also recognize in this moment, it's something I want to talk a little bit about yeah. with you, the way that um, anti-black racism works and the way that anti-Semitism works right. and how they're different right. and how they're similar right. and what we need to understand about both those things. Because I think that we are, I feel like we're all getting some lessons in anti-Semitism in real time mm-hmm. over the course of the last couple of years, a greatly misunderstood form of racism. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so I want to really think that through together. Yeah. And my sense is when things start to get really loud, yeah. that we have to quiet the alarm bells so, right. so that we can actually think clearly and listen in right. addition to speaking. So that's some of what I'm hoping yeah. we'll be able to do together tonight. Yeah. So what I, I want to, sh- and I'm thank you for that. So when you think about anti-Semitism, anti-blackness, so I'm going to start, I'm going to go back to the city council where you have conversation around redistricting that limits power for a segment of people. And while those words may not sound racist, right, because the N-word wasn't used or you know, tropes weren't used. It was almost, it, but I it mean, was very, very, she very got close. Really close. She got very really close. close. Yeah. Right. Very close. Um, and so some, some people who, when they hear it, they're like, oh no, that wasn't racist because certain words weren't used. The, the, what, what, what has to be understood, and, and it's the same when we talk about anti-Semitism, is that whole conversation around diminishing taking away, stealing power from people is in alignment with white supremacy mm-hmm. because that is the goal of white supremacy is to take power, steal power, deny you power because of who you are, because of your who-ness. And, um, and so when, as a black woman, when I hear certain things, even if I don't hear the N-word or the words that we have you know categorized as racist um the 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 intention and the spirit behind certain things and statements and activity is align is in alignment with white supremacy and that's what makes it racist mm-hmm. and that's the part that a lot of people have a hard time kind of negotiating because they're looking just at the word mm-hmm. or the words and not really seeing the spirit behind it and the intention. And that becomes very problematic. Mm-hmm. So even, you know, there are people that say, well, they didn't say certain things. Yes. But their activity and their actions was in alignment with white supremacy. And that is problematic for me. But also, as I tell the people where I live on my block, it's not just Najuma, the black woman. There are other people on my block. So when you limit my power because you have a problem with my who-ness, and we're talking about city council, then you're limiting power for everybody else in my community. Mm. So we all are impacted, even though it may not sound that way or look that way. And that's why we all have to say no. That's not okay. We all have to say no, and that's not okay also. Because at the end of the day, it impacts all of us and none of us because we, are, we, we live in a community, like it or not. You may not like your neighbor, but you're in a community and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And we are in this thing together. You know, it's, I, was, I gave a sermon a couple weeks ago yeah. where I was talking about how the, it's, 
it might be hard for us to understand why this is a manifestation of mm -hmm. white supremacy, especially because the people who said those terrible mm -hmm. things were not white. Right. And yet it was a white supremacist ideology that Absolutely. was driving it because it was about um, a zero-sum assumption about yes. power, that right. if black people and tenants take have power, then they're taking power from away right. from other people. And, and afterwards, um, at Shabbos lunch, someone asked me, Someone said, you know, it, it's really hard for a lot of white people to understand white supremacy because mm -hmm. it's just, it, it doesn't make sense. It's not right. like a formulation that is natural or instinctive. Right. And so how do you get white people to get behind the fight against white supremacy? Right. And, um, and we, we talked a little bit about Heather McGee and the, and the book, The Sum of Us, and and the whole idea that whites and, and how many have many people here read the book? We did a we did a book group at Icar about it, and and uh, a bunch of folks have read it. And mm -hmm. I, and the sum of us, mm -hmm. and and she tells the one of the stories that's told um, in the book is about how um, about when when desegregation orders came that in several white townships and towns throughout the country rather than desegregate their public pools and have their white children swimming with black children, right. they just filled the pools with concrete. Right. There was no more swimming. And either they were wealthy enough to build their own pools and then their kids could still swim or the kids just didn't learn how to swim anymore. And so that's like just a, a very, I mean, it's one of Absolutely. the most powerful demonstrations that I've heard of the way that white supremacy was hurting white people. Absolutely. Right? It's Because it's not a zero sum. No. And so... Um, so I think a lot about that. Absolutely. And, and actually, I, I mean, it's, it, it yeah. connects to Kanye also yeah. in some ways, because when Kanye goes out, in, you know, in public wearing a White Lives Matter t-shirt mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and talking about slavery the way that he has Absolutely. and talking about, you know, it, it, that is, he's, he's regurgitating white supremacist right. talking points. Right. So it, even like it, it and, and I believe that Jews can actually engage in anti-Semitic tropes too. Mm -hmm. And so, because the ideas are, that regardless of who's speaking them, right. the ideas have have power. Absolutely. And and, uh, and something that Brooke, um, Brooke and I were talking about as, you know, as we were thinking about tonight, and Brooke said, racism is prejudice plus power. Yes. Like the place where it's prejudice power. meets power is it's where racism, racism is. And Absolutely. so I think that's something interesting and important for us to think about. Also, right. by the way, as the Supreme Court hears the arguments about affirmative action, this is also going on in the backdrop right. of this conversation too. And, and, and what ends up happening is you know, the White Lives T-shirt, White Lives Matter T-shirt and other things that we have been seeing filling the media, the, the, to back to the point about violence, what it ends up being, and, and we saw it to your point about the, about the freeway, it becomes a calling card for those who are waiting for someone to blow the whistle to go out and attack. So how many of you know about Double Dutch? How many of I know, I know my folks know, how many of y'all know what Double Dutch? Y'all familiar with Double Dutch? So with Double Dutch, there you go, okay. So, so somebody's turned a rope, right? There's people turning a rope. But the thing about Double Dutch is you don't just jump in, but if you know on Double Dutch there's someone on the side waiting yeah. for their turn to jump in. Mm. If I'm twisting white supremacist ideology with the words that I speak and the activities, what I'm doing is I'm giving you an opportunity mm. to just mm -hmm. jump. And that's when we see the freeways 
that's when we see the Nancy Pelosi's attacked. That's when we see people mm-hmm. getting really harmed physically, emotionally, psychologically, because it's the turning mm. of, the, of, the, of the ideology mm-hmm. in the ways it's turning and the ways we've seen it turn, whether it's a tweet or an Instagram post or all the things that we've been seeing, a city council meeting. And so as these ropes are being turned, those who actually have access, will, which is really hard to harness, intention, Mm -hmm. they're just waiting for a moment to jump in and do violence. And that's where it gets real. And so the folks who are turning the ropes, they don't, I'm just turning ropes. Right, right. Yeah, you're turning ropes. But for people who like to double dutch, <laughs> you get, you, you know, so, some folks, you put some double dutch ropes in front of us, we like, oh, double dutch, okay. Yeah. That's what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. That is so, that's so powerful. Um, such a powerful image. And I've been thinking so much about this in the last couple of weeks. Um, what Derek Black said, the um, Derek Black, who was the son of the Grand Wizard of the KKK mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the, you know, his, his um, godfather was David Duke and he was this young white nationalist who ended up getting invited to a Shabbos dinner after another Shabbos dinner after another mm-hmm. and he ended up, his, if you don't know the story, the story's incredible. Mm-hmm. But what I've been thinking about that he said, because he essentially disavows his family ultimately, but he said that Charlottesville in 2017 was the single most important day in the history of white nationalism in America mm-hmm. because that was the day that the most powerful political figure in the country mm-hmm. could, failed to condemn the violence Absolutely. and say, step away from the ropes, right? right? Right. And so as a result, you know, I think part of why we're not seeing people back away from the Paul Pelosi now and say like, oh my God, I, you know, I really, I made a mistake here. Mm-hmm. I got too close. I got caught up with my rhetoric and I'm going to pull back. But instead they're like, no, we're here. Yeah. Because something that was always under the surface just came right out. Yeah. And many people wrote after Charlottesville, you know, these guys weren't wearing their white hoods because they didn't need to hide anything. They didn't have to hide. They right. understood that they did not need to hide in this moment. And I, I mean, I was surprised. Right. Right by that, and yeah, and 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 so even what we see, Kevin DeLeon's doubling down, tripling down to your point about not resigning. He's also in that vein of, I'm not going to hide. Mm-hmm. I said what I said about you. Mm. Deal with it, and you're gonna keep paying me, and I'm gonna keep my job. And you're going to have to deal with it. And that's, and so he didn't have to run and hide, you know, because we have people Mm. who keep the ropes turning. So part of our task, all of us, is to make sure that individually we're not part of the turning Mm -hmm. of the ropes. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, all of us have to make sure, like, am I fueling these ropes? Am I turning ropes? (laughs) And when I see someone doing that, if I have opportunity to ask to get them to put their ropes down, mm. um, if otherwise people like double dutch, 
Mm-hmm. They just looking for an opportunity to jump in. You know, I think yeah. that's in some ways this might be the one of the blessings of this last several mm-hmm. years is the whole the I mean really the centering of anti racism training and even anti racism language and the yeah. the whole recognition that it's not enough to not be a racist you have right. to be an anti racist you have to actively be l- learning and interrogating and trying to understand right. the ways that this is built into our systems right. and. Um, and I'm so appreciative of it. I'm appreciative of how uncomfortable I am in those right. conversations because I know that I'm, I'm better. I got afterwards. you. So I know that we're, that's the way that we're not inadvertently contributing right. um, to this problem. And, you know, I, well, I mean, we talk a lot about this at Icar, mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that I really learned about anti-Semitism that I didn't know about yeah. anti-Semitism is the role that it plays in white nationalist Absolutely. ideology. Yes. And so I'm just going to say this for anyone who hasn't give, heard me give this sermon 15 15 times in 15 ways over the last six years. But what I learned from uh, from my friend Eric Ward, um, who I think really kind of broke this story in an incredible article called Skin in the Game, which if you haven't read, you should read. He's a black civil rights and human rights um, activist, an organizer who embedded with um, white nationalist organizations, and they let him do it because... Um, because he said that he was also a nationalist and that Mm -hmm. he felt that there should be separation between the races. And so they embraced him, but immediately started talking to him about the great Satan, which was, you know, us. And, (laughs) um, And what he realized to his own surprise and certainly to ours as he started to share this is the way that the role that anti-Semitism plays at the heart of um, of good old American white nationalism, mm-hmm. because part of their racist ideology is that people of color aren't going to be sophisticated enough or smart enough to be able to overcome the systems of mm-hmm. oppression that have been designed to control and contain black bodies. But the Jews are smart and sophisticated and have evil intentions and can move the chess pieces mm-hmm. and make all this, these, you know, take essentially replace the, right. you know, the, the white America. And that is something that I did not know until yeah. Eric Ward shared it. And I was, you know, it was 2017. I'd already been a rabbi for 16 years. Yeah. And I did not know that that was part of the way that, that anti-Semitism, that, that anti-Semitism functioned it, yeah. inside yeah. the society. And so here we are talking about fighting racism over here and fighting anti-Semitism over here when really it's one struggle. Yeah. This is one fight. Yeah. And I'm so, I, I have to say, I've always heard this from you too. Yeah. I've always seen this, like the way that, the way that we can't fight on our own, no. our own oppressions, but we fight collectively because right. we have a collective interest in one another's Absolutely. liberation Absolutely. because we love and care about each other. And we understand that our own liberation is tied up in Absolutely. one another's liberation. Yeah. And and that's that piece that a lot of people miss is that, and it's kind of like with black folks, black the black community, it's like, I don't want you to get power. With our Jewish brothers and sisters, it's, I don't want you to have too much power. Mm. Because if you have too much power, then we can't control. And so it's this constant battle. And to your point, it's white supremacy is about power. It's about power. And, um, and absolute power corrupts. Absolute. And that's what the, that's the, the ideal of white supremacy is absolute power. Absolute power over people. Absolute power in government, absolute power in regions, and that's that's what we are all actually fighting against. But it has these so many different faces and masks and 
colors and schemes and prints, it's hard to identify always. But it's but and here's what I here's something what I um, something I I had a conversation with someone about. If you can if you can focus on where the power struggle is, then you'll find it. If you get caught up in little small details like who said this or, you know, the, the fights that are like on social media that they want you to get caught up in. But if you can focus on the power, like where is the power struggle, then you'll find it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, mm-hmm. I get it. Mm-hmm. It's a, this, this, the thing in city council, it, it's not about Latinx and black folks. It was about power. Mm-hmm. What's happening in D.C., it's not about Republicans and Democrats about power. And that's what we all have to kind of like pay attention to is the power struggle. Mm-hmm. It's all about power. I wonder if we can... And the, t- and, the, and the aim for absolute power. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to ask us, and we'll, I, if it's okay, mm-hmm. I'd love yeah. to open it up for a couple. We only have, we'll have time for a couple of questions, and then I have one final question yeah. for you. But one thing I want to ask you is, well, first... Um, the, the Jewish community is a, very, is a very diverse community. I think mm-hmm. there's a misunderstanding or misconception that the Jewish community is a white is made up of white Ashkenazi mm-hmm. Jews, like Jews from Eastern Europe or Central Europe. Actually, actually very diverse. And what we've learned over the years is that 12 to 20 percent of American Jews are people of color, um, which is really a remar- mm-hmm. really remarkable. And um, and so. There, I want to just start by sort of naming the misconception about Jews, but I wonder if I can ask you if, as a pastor, is there something that you'd want the Jewish community to to know? And mm-hmm. and then and I'll answer too. Like, what do I wish that people who weren't Jewish mm-hmm. knew about my about my people? And mm-hmm. if you, as a as a black pastor, is it like what do you wish that that people who aren't black Christians, for example, n- knew and understood about your community that that might help make our our way together in an easier and and more blessed way? Oh, that's a that's a lot. Of, that's a big one. <laughs> um, the thing that's coming to me immediately is that there's no such thing as black-on-black crime. Mm. So black people do not wake up every day intentioned to hurt black people because there's a defect in black folks that we've got to hurt each other. And I say that because the way that racist narrative plays is it excuses everyone from, or not everyone, but it helps people be excused from supporting, advocating, speaking up with the black community when there is Mm anti-blackness, when there is racism, Mm -hmm. because what often comes out of people's mouths and what's played on media is, well, they kill themselves anyway. Because you know black-on-black crime, please. There's no such thing as black-on-black crime. It's a horrible racist narrative. If I live in any other area, the people that, it's just crime happens locally, it just does. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. But what has happened is that that narrative plays into Mm -hmm. a much bigger narrative and people feel like I don't have to help the black community or be a part of their struggle or advocate or support because they hate him. They hate themselves anyway and they kill each other. Mm. And it's just not true. Mm. I don't care. Be very clear. The numbers of crimes that the media plays is very small compared to the density of our population. Not to excuse it. Not doing that at all because my own family is a victim of, of crime, violent crime. However, be very clear, mothers want their children to go to school mm-hmm. safely. Parents want their children to be safe coming and going. We all want to sleep good at night. And the majority of the black community is not trying to kill other black people. Mm. So when there's opportunity for our Jewish brothers and sisters to be a part of the anti-black, anti-racist you know, racist stuff happening, be a part of that if you can, mm. however you can. And please don't suggest that or allow that narrative to play in your mind. Well, they, go, they kill each other anyway. They don't like themselves. So why should we help? Mm. It's not true. It just isn't true. Mm. So that's what's coming up for me with that question. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. The majority, the, 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 the majority and the huge majority of us are, we want the same thing everybody else wants. Peace, mm-hmm. harmony, love, family. Good vacations, <laughs> nice cars, <laughs> all those things, yeah. I wish you didn't even have to say that. I know. I wish I didn't have to either. But thank you for saying it. Yeah, thank, thank you, you for letting me say it. Yeah. I think one of the things that I wish that people who weren't Jewish understood about the Jews is is the particular way that, that Jewish trauma works mm-hmm. and that Jewish vulnerability works Mm -hmm. because I think that people look at us in a kind of snapshot in time as a community that in America in this moment have accumulated some power and some wealth and Mm -hmm. some privilege and in general, not, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously not everyone. But there was a time a couple of years ago when the three mayors of the three biggest cities were all Jews, and it's, it was like, oh my God, you know, I like, I'm not, <laughs> like, I mean, there's some Jewish pride, but also like, oh, don't, I hope nobody notices, right? Because, but, but the, but what I think I wish people who weren't Jewish understood about about Jewish history is that all of that accumulation of of like power and resource and. It doesn't save us mm-hmm. when people turn against us. Mm-hmm. And that's just the lesson that we have learned again and again and again throughout history. And so I think there's a kind of embedded um, sense of vulnerability when people from the outside might look at us and think that we're invulnerable. Mm-hmm. They might think, what are you worrying about? Look at you. Look what you've got, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And we feel like in an instant, everything can change. Mm-hmm. Like, so we're kind of lit the way that the way that this version of racism lives Mm -hmm. is that everything usually is kind of okay. And then all of a sudden 
you know, mm-hmm. it's 1933. And so we have to try to, you know, I think, and, you know, it's not a, it's not a joke that like lots of Jews struggle with anxiety. And I think part of it's because of our history. It's mm-hmm. like, we just, what does it mean to live and know that even when you're okay, you might not be okay tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And so I, I say that because I, I wish, I just wish that was something people understood. Mm-hmm. Like if we were a little more tender hearted toward, toward one another and, I think maybe people would understand anti-Semitism and why Jews freak out about anti-Semitism mm-hmm. when it might not seem like such a big deal. And there, there are lots of people who face a lot of hate crimes mm-hmm. and a lot of challenges. And and so why are Jews seemingly so on edge all mm-hmm. the time? And it's not just because there are a lot of hate crimes mm-hmm. against Jews, but it's also because of the nature of Jewish of Jewish history and Jewish trauma and mm-hmm. Jewish vulnerability is that we're a-okay mm-hmm. until we're not. Mm-hmm. So any you know, a bunch of couple guys on the 405 could be a harbinger of something to come. And, or it could just be a couple of, you know, drunk mm-hmm. guys on the 405. Like we don't, we don't know. Mm-hmm. And so we like, we're, we're very fraught yeah. with, uh, with concern about it all yeah. the time. I don't know if that resonates with any of the other Jews in the room, but I think that's a, mm-hmm. okay, good. Yeah. And, 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 and I think, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that's where we share unfortunately, is shared anxiety because at any given moment, the police could kill someone in my community, right? Or any given moment, my son could be targeted because he looks just like whatever, right? So I think that's where we also have opportunity to build is because we do have this shared anxiety of how racism keeps showing up in our communities, mm-hmm. maybe differently the mm-hmm. way it kind of comes in, but there's this shared anxiety. Now, someone said, I heard someone say, and I'm just sharing, I'm not, I'm not agreeing with them, I'm just sharing you what they said, and, and my rebuttal to them was, because they said, well, there's just a really low bar for anti-Semitism. And I said, well, there should be a low bar for anything that's racist. Mm-hmm. Like, as long as you don't, you know, like we can take it up to here. Like there should be a, there should the low, the bar should be low mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. any kind of racism or anti anything. It should be low mm-hmm. because the minute we say it's too low, then what I'm really saying is, I want you to take more. Right, you can tolerate. Take it, more, right? and then when it gets here, then you can get pissed about it. Yeah, yeah. Huh? That's where we are. Take take more. Keep take, just keep keep putting it on. And that's that's what the feel of this season is like. Even you know, with Kevin DeLeon, it's like, well, I only said the bar's low. I didn't say that much. Yeah. So we should have waited until you said more. Okay, let's mm-hmm. run the tapes. Mm-hmm. Say some more, and then you let us know when you've said too much. Right. And then we'll get pissed. I think we should keep the bar low on anti-anything. Anti-humanity should be very low. That we grow as a human race to not hate and have expressed disdain for others. The bar should be low. Because the minute I say the bar is too low, then what I'm really saying is you should wait until it's really bad then you can have an attitude about it. Right. And that's 
pretty sick thinking. Also That's when, like an abuser saying, I only hit you once. Oh, I was supposed to wait you give me a third time. Okay, my bad. Mm. Two more pops. Yeah, no, it's sick. Yeah, it's not okay. If I would love to know <laughs> what's on all of your minds, or at least a co- how about two of your minds? Um, I went, does anyone have a question? Mr. Scott Schulman, hello. Sure. Hold on, Scott, I'm going to give you a mic. This is a week where, where we really need some positivity. Is there something in the last week or two weeks or month that really made you feel good? <laughs> I share something with my table <laughs> yeah. um, that went really well. And, you know, and, and so I say, well, so all that I'm expressing, I'm expressing in this space because I'm hopeful that these conversations will not only will lead to all of us collectively better understanding one another, but more importantly, better understanding ourselves and that it leads to community leads to love it leads to whatever changes each of us needs to make day to day and I think we're all growing you know so I'm so the the positivity is that these conversations I believe are create hope I don't know how long that takes but I do believe they happen Mm. and I did have something really amazing happen this week by the way you want me to tell you should I tell them because when I told my table they were like "Ah!" so (laughs) I had so we've all had the experience where you go someplace um, and you're standing in line and you get to the check-in, you get to the front counter, you get to the door, and they tell you things like, "We don't have your name, we don't have your appointment. You, you've been there before. We didn't get your payment." And you're like, "I did all the things." Well, that happened to me this week. So I was taking care of something really important for me and my kids. And the lady's like, "We don't have your appointment. We don't see your name. You can't be seen. We can't help you." And some spirit said, "Just pause." So I just pause. Spirit said, now ask for a supervisor manager. <laughs> so I say, is there a supervisor or a manager I, I can talk to? She says, yes, I have a supervisor and I can call her, but she's going to tell you the exact same thing. We cannot see you today. I said, no problem. Just ask her. So she calls a supervisor and I have now turned my back against the door. So I don't see who's coming out. But I hear these words. So she calls the supervisor. So I hear these words. Is that my pastor? Is that my pastor? <laughs> the supervisor was one of my members at my church. <laughs> and I actually shared that on Instagram and it went viral. It's actually almost at 15,000 views. <laughs> And what my table helped me understand is that because we've all had that experience when we're at some place and they tell us you can't get in, we can't see you, your appointment isn't verified or whatever, whatever. But it's like this ounce of justice because the supervisor was someone that knew me. And so that was my, that was my bright moment of the week. <laughs> You're great. That's great. Now I think we leave it at that. Um, Beth, do you want do you want to ask a question? Yeah, that's great. Oh, hold on a sec. Brick's gonna bring you. Thank you. Um, so when we you were talking about double dutch and people just waiting to jump in, I've I've always thought about people who are afraid of giving up power as so people who don't who don't have any 
It's not the people who are in power. It's the people who don't have any. And then they and when and when when the when the ropes start going, then they go, oh, that's why I don't have any power. It's because the immigrants are taking my jobs. It's because the Jews run the world. It's because of all this stuff. And it, it, so it's it's not people who already hold the the white supremacist views who are waiting to, to jump in. It's for people who are dissatisfied and they're looking for an explanation aside from where, where they don't have to take responsibility for why they don't have any power, why they're not making as much money as they wanted, why they don't see themselves, why they're starting to see themselves less and less represented in government or whatever it is, but where they're not happy with the amount of power that they have. And then the ropes start and then they use that as an explanation. Yeah, and 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 I agree with you and the huge amount of entitlement that comes with that thought and that mindset because the entitlement is I I should have the power that I think you have. Mm. Whether you have it or not. I should have the power that I think you have. That's, that's a grave amount of entitlement. Mm-hmm. And so you're, I do agree with you. And that sometimes is the most dangerous person. I think of Ahmaud Aubrey, yeah. the men that killed him. Mm-hmm. They were just, they were individuals who didn't really have much power. Mm. But they also felt entitled mm-hmm. to exercise power that they actually didn't have. And felt very entitled. Mm-hmm. So you're right, but there's a there's a dangerous entitlement that's even behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really scary because when I feel like I should have what you have, even though I don't, whether you have and I have it or not, but I'm willing to go whatever lengths to take whatever power I think you have. That's really dangerous. And that person's probably the most dangerous because they actually don't have much to lose. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think that that means they're good, mm-hmm. they're good learners because this is what, I mean, this is the history of racism in America was mm-hmm. teaching poor white people that they were, they had to be better than somebody. Mm-hmm. Otherwise they were going to rebel against their, against wealthy whites. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's, it's precisely, I think, going to people who have, who, who have little power and pointing the finger at somebody else who who dares to jog down the street like yeah. a free man, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that's that's very powerful. You know, our, our, we're getting close to nine. So what I'm going to do, I want to ask you um, a final question, and I'm sure there's a lot that's stirred up here, and I, I love that. But I want to also respect mm-hmm. people's time, and especially yours, because yeah. you've had a hard day. It's okay. Um, I want to ask you what your vision of the beloved community is, mm-hmm. and. Did, did folks hear my question? What is your, what's your vision of the beloved community? And I want to ask, as, as you give, take a moment to think mm-hmm. about, I want to ask all of us to think in our own minds what the beloved community could be for us mm-hmm. and, and see if we hear any echoes or resonances in each other's vision here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You want them to ask at the tables or? You want to take a minute? Talk to someone next to you for a moment? Just, it's okay. It's okay. Turn to each other. Let's do it. Let's do it. You got 30 seconds. You got 30 seconds. (laughs) We're not going to be here all night. 
And maybe one person or a few table can just shout out their vision. Uh, and maybe like one word or two words. Let's do that. It'll do that. I mean, I share my thoughts, but. So pick somebody at your table who's going to share the vision in one word or two. I'm good. Okay, let's pull it back together. So, so why don't we just let's hear a couple words? What What are the words that are, that emerge for you when we when I ask that question? Let's just hear a couple words, and then we're going to hear uh, Reverend Najuma's, and and I'll tell you mine. Yeah, go ahead. Something that's very, <laughs> making it something that uh, that people want to be a part of. That that it's not just d- doing it in my own little way. That this is something that's important, and every piece, every one of us is important, and that's what makes the whole so wonderful. And that somehow we have to come together in that. Thank you, Wendy. Thank, thank you. I think you. I think the essence of what you're saying is about collectivity and connectivity, right? Something about helping connect us to the broader collective. Can we do just one word like pop up? Because again, I, I want to, we're going to close. So just like some, when I say beloved community, what do you envision? What's your, like, what's your dream of what's possible in our society? Do you have a dream? You have a dream. Just I mean, and I was going to say, where everybody's treated by the supervisor as though they are your beloved yes. pastor, right? <laughs> everybody. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Beloved pastor status everybody for everybody. Everybody has pastor status. Yeah. I love it. A, a word. Easy walkout. I like okay. it. Okay. Um, thank, thank you, Sherry. Thank you. Over here. Interface. Yeah, we got to do this together, folks. I'm sorry. Together. There is no way forward except together. Yep. Yeah. Respect and embrace. Respect and embrace each other's differences, right? Like the ways that we're different, it's not about pretending that we're the same, but actually honoring and lifting up what's different about us. Beautiful. Yeah. Mm. Andrea said reciprocal compassion. That's so like beautiful. It. Thank you. Okay, one last one. Love. Love. <laughs> um, do you want to? Do you want to share so, yours? Yeah. So my my vision is uh, the word I'm going to lean into is uh, belonging. That everyone knows that they belong, mm. and but not just knows it, but feels it. That they belong. So I'm gonna, that's my vision is belonging, that there's this overwhelming sense of belonging. Mm. And I, I, I mean, I will, part of my vision when I, when I think of beloved community, I think about a particular intersection downtown at a protest in the middle of COVID after the murders of Ahmad Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and this sacred space that you and a few of our partners in the work established so that we could so that we could grieve together mm-hmm. and so that we could hold accountable the people who are causing so much pain in this world and and then the way that you made space not only to honor those three beloved people whose lives were taken but you invited in 
the non-black clergy that were there to support, and you brought us into a sacred conversation with you. And I feel like there was some kind of holy harmony that happened in that mm-hmm. moment. And and for me, it was transformative moment just yeah. to to see your leadership to see how you in the center saw everyone in the periphery mm-hmm. and recognize that all of us together and only together mm-hmm. were going to be able to make our way through this really difficult time. And Thank I'm you. so grateful to you Thank for that. You. And I um, I hope, I mean, if I may be so bold, maybe yes. one day we could come to your church. I said that. Didn't I say that? I said at my table. I think a lot of our folks may yeah. want to come for a visit on a Sunday morning. And I, I, I said I said that at my table. I said, and now we have to get you all to come on yeah, a Sunday to Word of sure. Encouragement Church. I would love it. So we're going to arrange that. And you are an honorary member of ICAR in my mind and a, a great teacher here. And I hope you'll make your way back again and <laughs> yes. again. And again, baby, let's let's do this. Uh, yes, um, I love so, you. As yes. a little line of Richie, I just brought in there for some reason. Um, <laughs> so I I thank all of you. Um, thank you for for being here tonight and being a part of this conversation. This is an ongoing conversation, and I I, I just I want to say, you know, just one last thing, which is. Um, I, you know, I'm a New Yorker. Like, I, well, I'm from New Jersey, honestly, truth be told. But I lived in New York for 12 years, the formative years. And then I came out here and, like, really became mm-hmm. a part of the city when I started getting involved in the multi-faith justice work in the city. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, I just, I feel like for all of us who are struggling with this sense of polarization and division and fear and loneliness and worry, we have to step more deeply into the work. We just have to get more deeply into the work. And so thank uh, thank God for Brooke Worchafter, our Director of Community Organizing. We have an amazing Minyan Sedek team. Um, uh, of people who really are deeply in the work, who are who are leading and who are standing side by side with our partners every day, and we want all of you to be part of it too. Yeah. Um, and you know, as I keep saying, the only way through this is together. Amen. Can can I do one thing else before we close, and yeah. we can close out on this? I'm going to ask Didi to come back up. Yeah. Come on, Didi. And I'm, I'm just going to ask her to just give us something to close yeah. out out on, and That's then right. when you're done, we're done. <laughs> while while Didi's making her way up, I'm reminded of one of the, my favorite teachings of Reverend Najuma Smith Pollard when she was asked right here in this spot if she, the year was like 2017, if we were all invited to go to Washington, D.C. to bless the president, yes. what would we do? <laughs> and I said, nothing in the world could get me on that plane. And you had a different answer. Do you yes, remember? Yes, I, I would gladly go and lay hands on you. <laughs> <laughs> Just pour the oil. Come here, baby. Let's anoint that head with oil. And I'm still willing to go. I'm still willing to go, but they haven't come. I'm, this is this is Dee Dee Foster. She's not only my friend. She's a recording artist, but she's just got this voice. And so, in in our tradition, we we sing out. We leave church. We sing out. So I'm just gonna give us a little whatever's on your heart, Dee Dee, and then we can we can be done. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you got a mic right there. Whatever, this ad lib, whatever's on your heart. May you all go in love. May you all go in peace. May we all meet again one day. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom.
God bless you. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Hi, it's Rabbi Brass again. Thank you so much for listening. Want more content like this? I hope you'll subscribe. And please consider making a contribution to Ikar so we can continue to work toward the fulfillment of our mission to reanimate Jewish life, to embody moral courage, to nurture the spirit, and to work to decipher what it means to be a human being in the world today. Visit our website at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And I hope to see you maybe even in person sometime soon.